Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Michael Jacobs. We believe today's message will help you walk in faith and have victory now. We're going to talk tonight in just a minute about vision. So visions, some of the visions I've had, not all of them. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, verse one here in just a minute, I'm going to read that to you and to us in Second Corinthians chapter 12. But first I wanted to read a couple of prophecies. If you were here this week earlier, I said, you know, God spoke to me one time and said, the prophecies, Michael, are a blueprint for your life. And I, I didn't know that. So I started to read them again and I began to see there was a lot in the prophecy that I didn't fully comprehend or embrace or have revelation on, even though it was written. So I started reading them more often and looking at them more often. And this was uh, with Dr. Dufresne in Lima, Peru. I don't have a date on that. I think it would have been before 2008. And me and a lot of preachers went with him. And he said, he called us up one at a time and he knelt down and hit our bottom of our shoes and we all fell out. There was about 12 of us laying up here not here, but in Lima. And we started marching while we were laying there. And this came out of Dr. Dufresne's mouth. This is an indication and demonstration that they will go all over the world and preach. You notice they are marching. These are men approved in our midst for the anointing of God. There's a special event this morning, special acts of the Holy Ghost in our midst, visible his power is visible. And as they were marching, laying down, men approved of God going all over the world. Then one of the visions I'm going to talk about tonight is when they had eight angels visit me. I'll give more detail in a minute. But the Lord said that was added equipment to my ministry as a prophet. And uh, ended up two of these angels came later to restore and repair people's bodies. That's what they told me. And I had one that's armed and protects me. I'll tell more about that in just a minute. And one angel for aviation, which I use constantly now. And one angel for resurrection life. Praise the Lord. You listening? I'm just going to read this little section. It's not every, but I think it's important because prophecy is important. If you have a valid prophecy, of course you have to judge everything if you're smart or go to somebody who knows God better than you and ask them, does that sound right? Or is that a miss? And I was with dad in October, in October, 2008, 2008 was a, just a tremendous year for me. Uh, I was in Georgetown, Indiana, where the weights were pastoring at the time, Michael and Doris. And he said, you're going to have creative miracles, said this to me, in smelling and tasting. So when the Lord tells me, I say that, and if you can't smell, we could help you. And I had a guy that went through COVID and a young man, but He's one of my pastor's sons. His name is Dylan. He couldn't smell anything or taste anything after he, and I've laid hands on him. He told me later, after you laid hands on me, everything came back to me. And then I was in Clarksville, Tennessee with dad. And I think pastor Nancy may have been in that meeting. He called me up and laid hands on me. He said, you're missing one thing. Let me go to this and I'll come back to that. He said, another part of the puzzle and there's one part, something's missing. Then he laid his hands on me and said, it's not missing anymore, which means that 
he was saying, I got all that I needed to get from Dad Dufresne. I never dreamed he'd go, go home in two more months. Are you listening to me? Now, that was being with him for 20 years. I didn't stay with him. To, I did stay with him to get something, but not in a manipulative way. I went to his meetings. I supported it, whether he ministered to me publicly or not, or he had me take an offering. That was never in my thinking that he had to do anything. I was following him. I was the disciple. He was the leader. Thank you so much. I'm going to come over here and let Pastor pat me on the back if you don't start responding. <laughs> There's another part. He came to me that same night. I don't know if this was before he touched me or after or later, second time. He said, teach more on what we are in Christ. And I told you last night, he told me, and the authority of the believer. That's what I taught you last night. And then in November, 2008, God said to me, lungs and breathing problems and it's it's in your healing anointing now to me that's what god said to me now this is something interesting i'm going to get in the word with you don't just don't get in a hurry this is my last night so pastor nancy said i could go to 10 o'clock so <laughs> she didn't say that um this was when dad ministered to me in tongues and pastor nancy interpreted there's a mantle that's been assigned to your life, but it's been held in check until the time. Now think about that. God has things for you probably held in check until you could receive it or until you could receive it properly and then operate in it. So it's time for that mantle to come. That's what Pastor Nancy said. It, it was a tongue and interpretation for ministry, not just for the congregation, for me personally. And it's a voice of authority that you didn't have before. Not that I didn't have any authority, but there's something being added that night in the anointing that gives me more authority to speak. A voice of authority that you didn't have before, but your voice carries the expression of that mantle. Then he spoke in tongues again, and then Pastor Nancy interpreted. And not only is that mantle gonna make a difference, but the words are gonna make a difference. And when you lay your hands on it, you're going to see an increase, an increase of ministry. Run faster, run faster to carry that anointing. Hallelujah. And I'll read one more here. This is from dad in August the 3rd, 2009. I don't have the city where that took place, but as you turn the big six, so that was 12 years ago, you'll blow and go and things will go and you'll go into all the world, thousands upon thousands, miracles, Books and healings are increasing in your ministry. Yeah, I read these regularly because that encourages me and helps me, which the Bible does too. But this is specific words that God said, felt fit, fit to give me either through doctor or doctor and pastor Nancy. Are you with me so far? I just want to take a minute and say thanks to pastor Nancy for having me. You know, she called me. I don't know if she would say, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think this is kind of funny. We, I, we were talking on the phone. She called me and she called, she left me a voicemail, I think, and said, give, give me a call, doctor, when you have minutes. So I called her and she's talking about coming here and preaching, but I'm thinking she's talking about her coming to my church and preaching. So I got tickled at her and I said, well, I'd love for you to come. And she said, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I said, me? 
yeah, I want you to come to my church and minister. Oh, wow. So anyway, I'm here. And she, she's the cause. <laughs> she said something that was really special. Another pastor said the same thing to me recently. I don't have anybody that comes to my church, he said. Now, she didn't say this, but she did say this part. We need your anointing, the anointing you have on your life to come and help us. Anyway, thank you, Pastor Nancy, for having me. It's one, and by the way, it's been a wonderful meeting. Thank you for coming. Okay. Now, uh, somebody could bring me some water because I'm kind of dry up here. If you could do that or just bring me a bottle of water or something. Here we go. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1. Excuse me, I'm just really a little dry. Is it not, it is not expedient, verse 1, for me doubtless to glory, I will come to visions, plural, and revelations of the Lord. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about visions and really a revelation. You know, I, well, you could teach something and have a little bit of revelation, but sometimes when you teach something a lot or you study a lot, you'll receive a revelation that's more full, fully given. But I want to talk to you about visions. I've had several. Not all of them are listed here, but a lot of them are. I want to make a comment about visions. I was 60 years old. God dealt with me said, Michael, I want you to start sharing about your visions you've had. And I said, really? <laughs> he said, yes. I said, you know, I'd just rather not do that, Father. Well, he knew what I was thinking, but he said, why anyway? I guess he wanted to make sure I heard myself talking. I said, well, because I consider these moments with you when I had a visitation, an angel would speak to me or several would come and one would speak. And they meant like, I never talked to anybody about my romance with my wife. Am I making myself clear? Because yeah. that's nobody's business. And I put it in the same category in my mind as that, something vital, something personal, something that was a very precious, I call them this, holy moment. And I said, I'd just rather not do that. Lord, you're stretching me beyond my ability right now. He said, I am not. And he said, I want you to share it. I know you'll be criticized for some things you say. People don't understand you all the time, but that's partly due to being a prophet. And don't let it bother you. <laughs> and I said back, I'd still rather not do it. He said, well, it's either that or else. I'd be wonderfully glad to share that. <laughs> Now, let me explain that. At least you misinterpret what I just said. God is not a bully. Yes. But what he was saying is, if you don't do this for me, because he's asking me, not a pastor, he asked me, Jesus, the head of the church, to do, to do this for him, even though it was, I was meant more crucifying my flesh. You understand what I'm saying? These are these were special moments in my life. I mean, I have about eight of them written down. I've had many other visions, but these are the most significant ones. And uh, so if I didn't do that, I was becoming a bigger target for the devil because I'm over in his camp. Because, you know, the Bible says, I'm not teaching on deliverance tonight, but I think Proverbs 17, maybe verse 11 says that when you're rebellious, an evil spirit will be sent against you. You could be a Christian and still be rebellious. You're not doing everything God told you. 
or half-heartedly doing it. And you become a target for the devil when you act like that. All right. So Paul said he was going to come to visions. Let's go to Acts 2 a minute. And I'm going to look at the verse here. Uh, Acts 2 and verse 17. I think we may have talked about this just briefly the other day. I'm giving you a couple of scriptures then we're going to launch out. Is that okay? So some people in the earth and me included in that comment, have had visions. I never asked to see anything. You know, I've never, ever, ever since I was born again, I didn't ask to see anything. When I was a drug addict, I saw a lot, and it was all evil, and it was all uh, demonic. And uh, I know I'm not talking about that realm. I'm talking about the good realm with the elect angels that are holy and godly, and they want to help me. And God saw fit to give me these visions. So, you know, I need to treat him with respect. Verse 17 of Acts 2 says, It'll come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Interesting, he's pouring out his spirit upon everybody, but they're not all getting it just because he poured it out. The sons and the daughters, those who are properly connected in the local church and have a spiritual father as a covering or mother, and then he said, your, your, uh, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So this must mean I'm still a young man. I don't have dreams. Not yet I have. Not of God. Uh, and I've only had one nightmare about five years ago. But anyway, it says here, the Amplified Bible, which is accurate to the Greek, says, you, your young men shall have divinely granted appearances. I want you to understand what I'm saying. When you have a divinely granted appearance, it comes from God to us. It's divine and God has to endorse that to happen or it's not happening. So again, we treat these things with respect. One more verse, Acts 26. I mean, we'll have a few more verses as we teach, but this is just laying a foundation. Acts 26, I think it is. Acts 26, verse 19, Paul was before King Agrippa trying to get him saved. And he says, whereupon, verse 19, Acts 26, 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now, you know, I'd like to say I understood that when I had my first vision, but I didn't. And I didn't share it with anybody publicly for a long time because it was so sacred and precious to me. And I still didn't understand all that that angel said to me. But we're going to talk about it in just a minute. You get anything yet? They're just showing you when you have a vision, then you need to be obedient to it. Or you need to, can I say it this way, explore what was said or what happened. I've said for years, people ask me, what did that angel look like? And finally, I just told people publicly, you're asking the wrong questions. What you needed to ask me is, what did he say? It really doesn't matter what he looked like. I'm going to tell you a few that I've seen. Maybe they would help you, but it's what he said that was important. So I want to start in 1954. I was born in 1949. I'm 72 years old now. 67 years ago, uh, I, was, uh, I had rickets. My legs were messed up. My knees started knocking together when I was about two, two and a half. My mother took, to me, took me to Barney's Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. Dr. Barney was my doctor, and my mother's name was Joyce. And he said to her, Joyce, your son has a tremendously bad case of rickets. 
I'm going to put him in braces. How many ever saw a Forrest Gump? Well, I was Run Michael Run. <laughs> I still have the braces in my office at my house to remind me that I was a little crippled boy that became a preacher. Dad told me I need to write a book with that title. I haven't written it yet, but I think I will. So I wore these braces for almost three years. Uh, I couldn't uh, take them off except to bathe. Other than that, I had them on. They had a shoe attached in the bottom and a screw in the knee where you could bend your leg and they steel rods. I've got a picture I don't bring with, I didn't bring it with me. I think Pastor Nancy said she saw my braces one time. But anyway, I was a little crippled boy and my mother, my dad left when I was born, my real dad. And so uh, my mother remarried a different man named Jack Jacobs. And uh, that's why my name's Jacobs today. I wasn't born, that wasn't my last name, but I had it changed personally when I was 18 because I wanted to honor him as my dad. And anyway, I'm a little crippled boy and they moved to Springfield, Ohio, which is probably about 10 miles from where I really grew up in Fairborn. We moved there shortly after this experience. I'm a little crippled boy. I'm laying in bed asleep. I didn't hear anything, but just woke up immediately. I was wide awake. And we had a big window in my room. It wasn't quite as big as that screen, but it was pretty huge. And I looked out that window and about 12 feet from me stood this angelic being. He had a staff, a rod looking thing in his hand. It went up and went down. It was a couple of feet over his head and he was translucent. What I mean by that, there was bushes on the other side of the driveway and I could faintly see through him to see the edge of the bush. And you know, when I, when I had this experience, I, I wanted to say something like, who are you? Are you Jesus? Are you an angel? <laughs> I'm five years old and uh, I couldn't talk. I just kept looking at him thinking he's going to say something to me. He didn't say anything to me. I ran in my mom's bedroom. She was sleeping on this side of the bed. I grabbed her arm and jerked it. Got her by the hand, brought her back. She stood in front of the window with me. She couldn't talk either. So what'd you do? We just stared at him <laughs> for a few minutes. And because he didn't say nothing, she looked at me. I looked at her. We weren't able to talk to him. We, it's like, I don't know. Like all of a sudden there was just nothing to say, but there was a feeling that took place. I'm saying it that way. The only way I know to express it, just pray for me. This be okay. If talk like this, but it seemed like waves. Now that I'm looking back and I'm older and understanding waves of the anointing coming. Yeah. It had no sound, but this is what it sounded like to me. Something like that. And it rattled me on the inside, shook me. But he never said a word. He didn't reach his hand out towards me. Eventually we went back to bed and you know, he could have came in the room and laid hands on my legs later. I don't know. Or before I woke up, I don't know. But about a month later, my mom took me back to Dr. Barney, took the braces off and said, Joyce, you got a miracle. I don't understand it, but he, he's not crippled anymore. So I attribute it to that experience. That was 67 years ago. And when I'm telling you about it, it's like I'm a little boy standing at that window looking out. And I know what they say when they say fear not. I'm talking about these visions. That, and you may not see everything that I'm seeing or you may not have. But just remember, angels are around you to protect you. 
if you're real sensitive to the spirit, you might discern, maybe not see. When my wife was in the hospital recently, she was getting ready to pass away. One of the nurses, the head nurse there on that floor came into my room one day with her. And she sat down and said, Michael, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am. Uh, I would like you to tell me something about angels. You said you wrote a book. I said, I did. She said, when I'm in the room on this floor, because a lot of people die every night on this floor of the hospital. And I come in, I feel there's other beings in the room, but I never see anything. Can you help me? I said, sure. When you get ready to go to heaven, God's got a heavenly limo service comprised of two angels. They will come and escort you to heaven. So what happens many times when a person is getting ready to pass, they slip over into the other realm and they see these beings. They're not afraid of them, but they know they're there to help them. And when you leave your body, they escort you to heaven. And she said, well, that's interesting. I said, it's the Bible. And so I didn't have any books with me, my angel books. After my wife passed, I remembered she wanted one and two other of the nurses in the hospital wanted one. So I just got a backpack and put angel books in there and went up on that floor. I wasn't, I wasn't invited. You weren't supposed to do that. They have security downstairs. I'm surprised they didn't check me. I just act like I worked there. <laughs> and I went upstairs to find uh, Sandy was the head nurse. And she was a sweet lady. And I, I finally found some nurses at the nursing station. And I said, you know, I'm Dr. Jacobs. My wife passed away in this room right behind me here in September. One lady said, I remember you. I said, I'm here for, to talk to Sandy. Is she working today? No. Well, I have this angel book and I told her I'd give it to her. Now, also there's two nurses. They're by the same name. One is kind of thin and it's got one of those things on her arm for measuring sugar, I think. Her name's Sarah. Yeah, we know her. And there's another nurse that's a little heavier than her. Her name is Sarah. And both of these nurses said they wanted a book. So I want you to give that to Sarah number one, Sarah number two. And then they said, you got any more books? I said, yeah. Can we have one? Yeah, here you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. So now let's move ahead to 1971. And you know, I've told you before I was a drug addict. Let's go over here to Revelation chapter eight. Am I making sense to you yet? And I have some specific, specific things to do in just a minute. But you're going to have to give me time to get there. Can you do that? And you know, if it's, it's not, if it's not for you specifically, what I'm teaching is, you see, I'm trying to say this. I'm not special. I'm not any more special to Jesus than you are. Maybe I have a little more responsibility because I teach and preach and, you know, I'm being held accountable for that when I get to heaven. So I try to be very thorough in what I'm saying all the time. But I want to help you to see if you don't see things around you, they're still working even though you didn't see them. I like to say it this way. I haven't said it in this meeting yet. I'm going to tell you now. If you're 15 to 20 years old, probably sometime in your life, you about hit by a car, about drowned. Or if you're a little bit older and rougher like I was, you may have just about got shot or killed. And all of a sudden you're on the other side of that. And you kind of have this expression like, what just happened? I don't understand. I'm standing over here, but it seemed like that tragedy was going to come, but I've evaded it. I've come on the other side of it and it passed me by. That was angels watching over you. 
You say, well, I didn't know anything about it. I know you didn't. Unless you had parents that taught you or a pastor that taught you, you were still, as far as knowledge, zero. You didn't, you'd have believed in angels generically, but you didn't really believe in them because you had no experience. And somebody hadn't taught you like I'm teaching you to build your faith for this area. The angels, sadly to say, this is my opinion, I've been in this a long time. It's one of the most neglected ministries in the body of Christ. And this is shocking, I'm just telling you, I read Genesis over and over a few times to see, and I realized in the book of Genesis, those people living then, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Noah, they knew more about angels than most churches I preach in today. And yet they weren't born again. They didn't speak in tongues. They didn't know anything that like what we know now. We have so much knowledge in us. Okay, I'm just trying to help you here. Hang on a minute. Let's see. Revelation 8, are you there? Starting in verse 2. I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. So when you're praying down here, those praise, pray, prayers go up before God. And here's an angel taking your prayers. And he said, upon the golden altar, which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints or the redeemed, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took a censer, like a cup or something we would say, and filled it with fire from off the altar. Now that's heavenly fire off the heavenly altar in heaven. And he cast it back into the earth. What is he doing? He's responding to the prayers that were given in the planet. They went up, the angel got it, God endorsed it, put holy fire with it and threw it back into the earth. And notice it says, and there were voices. I'm gonna give you experience in just a minute I had in 1971 and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. One time I was in a Jeep in Honduras with two preachers. We pulled up on a place to park. We were getting out and going in this building to preach. And all of a sudden we were praying. I said, let's have a word of prayer. And God shook that Jeep. <laughs> I mean, he shook that vehicle. Three of us were in there. I said, what just happened? I didn't see any of the other cars shaking. And if it happens again, I'm gonna check these windows and see if they're vibrating. And it happened again, he shook that Jeep. He was just showing that he was with us. I've only had that happen one time. It didn't have to have it, but it was a supernatural sign and wonder to it. But anyway, I was in a tenement house out in California looking for new people to buy drugs from because I was a drug, a drugs dealer, a drug addict and a drug dealer with three or four other guys that were with me on that trip. And we were, ended up in a tenement house. I think it's Venice Beach. That's not far from here, is it? Venice Beach, how far is it by car? How much? Two hours, yeah. And we were living in a tenement house. It's one of those places you see in a bad movie. <laughs> I mean, nobody seemed normal that lived there. <laughs> we, there were six of us, I think. We were staying with a guy that let us stay with us. There was just one bedroom, living room combo, a little kitchenette, and then a bathroom. And uh, I mean, it was a pretty nasty place. I woke up one day, you know, I was there for several days with the other guys. And I had 55 cockroaches bites on one leg. 
that gives you a clue what kind of place. It reminded me of an old movie with a guy wearing a trench coat and he flips out a shotgun and blows the door off the handle and goes in. You know, it's just wildness. That didn't happen while I was there, thank God. But that's what it felt like the atmosphere was filled with. We borrowed the fit from the guy across the, t the hall. Of course, I got hepatitis from it. But anyway, I, I went in the bathroom. I, the five, five of us were there. I think there was five of us. I was the last one to go in the bathroom to shoot up. And that was my drug of preference, methadrine, speed. And I'm in there and I'm fixing my dope. I put a tourniquet on my arm, hit myself up. I looked, there goes a roach up the wall. I'd had the dream of this two months before I went out there and woke up. I was panicked. I don't know why. You know, you're a drug dealer. You're not... You think nothing, but that, that was like a nightmare. And there I am living in it. And all of a sudden, my knees are right up against the tub. I'm not using the potty. I'm just sitting on it so I can do that. The shower curtain disappears. And I'm like in a movie house watching my life on film. <laughs> See, it was just strangeness to me right then. But I'm looking at that, and all of a sudden, God says to me, don't ask me how I knew it was him. I just know. Sometimes you can know something down here. Your head doesn't understand. He said, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. That's the first thing he said to me. Remember what happened when the prayers came back? Voices. You know, my mother was a strong intercessor in her life at that time. And people at the Baptist church, there were several elderly people, men and women, that knew how to pray. And she'd put me on their prayer list every week. Pray for Michael. He's going to kill somebody or get killed. He is so wild. I didn't grow up wild, but I became wild. I'm not bragging about it. I'm ashamed of it. But nonetheless, that was where I was at. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Michael, go home. And it just shook me to my very core. I'm sitting on the bathroom potty shooting up. I'm the last one of the five of us. I go back in the other room. And I said to the, the, the those guys are, you know, when you shoot dope, it only takes four seconds to get from here to here. And they're, they're having a trip, not a hallucinogenic trip, but a speed trip by shooting dope like that. I went back in the other room and I said, I'm going to go home. They said, you got some bad dope. I said, I've shot bad dope that was cut with rat poison. I know what that makes me feel like. No, I had an experience in that little bathroom. And they had a lot of expletives. They shouted at me, shut the something, something, blankety, blank, 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 blank. <laughs> I'm done you God's truth. And so at that time in my life, I said, you can come if you want. I'll beat all of you up. Just bring it. But I had something happen in there. And they looked at me like, what's wrong with him? And then I started to cry. And I said, I just can't live like this the rest of my life. I'm done with all this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. That's the first thing I'm going to do. God spoke to me in there and he told me to go home. And I knew I wasn't dying because I died six weeks before I got there in my bedroom in Fairborn, Ohio. My spirit got to the ceiling. God put his hand out and stuck my spirit back in my body. That's another story, but a vision that I had. I was up on the ceiling looking back at me, and I was laying there. I was, my body was dead. But I'm in this Kinnemet house, and I started to cry. And I said, you know, doesn't it bother you that we buried five of our friends last year? Three of them shot to death in drug deals and two of them overdosed. You know, I started in this piece, you know, hippy dippy, whatever, but it's not like that anymore. It's so violent, so 
struggle. And even my best friend's girlfriend said to me in the morning one time, she spent the night with him, whatever. You know, what's life all about, Michael? And you know what I said? I don't know either. And she went home and committed suicide. We're just living a life that's so bizarre to my, what I'm thinking now. But I started to cry and I said, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm not mad at you, but I just need to get out of this. I cannot live like this anymore. Then I went home and I got, you know, to my mother's and I went and talked to her because she was more of the spokesman for the family than my dad. She said, you can live here as long as you get a job and you're going to pay rent because I was 21 then. I said, okay, you're not going to do dope in my house. Okay. And you're not going to drink in my house. Okay. My mom was kind of strict about it. I said, I just want a place to live, mom. All my friends, if I go back to live with them in the drug environment, I won't make it. It's such a big temptation. I said to my mother, you know, I have no, I have no lady that satisfies me anymore. I have no drug that satisfies me anymore. I'm just a mess. And I'm coming home to get it together. I, I just need a place to stay. She said, come on in. We'll do our best to help you. So I thought I liked this girl at the Baptist church because she was cute. And her parents went to that church where my mother turned my name in every week to the prayer people. <laughs> so her parents know I'm a drug addict and they know I've been a drug dealer and they didn't trust me as far as they could spit. Of course, later in life, I got married and had a little girl too. I know exactly what that's about. Garden your young lady. And then my son too. So she said, my dad says we can't go anywhere but church or at my house. And he told me, the dad said, don't ever be in my house when I come home alone with my daughter. Or, you know, you're done. I said, okay. So I went to this youth meeting with her. I'm 21 years old, got a long ponytail. I look like Grizzly Adams or something. I had a beard. <laughs> and I don't remember what the guy preached, but all of a sudden this scripture came to me. I didn't even think I knew a scripture. It's come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And at the end of the service, he said, bow your heads. I want you to do one thing. So I, I was obedient, bowed my head, sitting by this girl that I think I like. Ask God if you know him. So I said, Lord, do I know you? He said, no, you just know about me because your mother made you go to church. But if you'll come forward tonight, I'll put your life together. So I stood up and walked all the way down front with all these kids, 14, 15, 16, 18, prayed the prayer with the preacher, and I got born again. <laughs> now, I wasn't too sanctified yet. So the girl I'm with, the next time I went to pick her up was a week on a Saturday. She said, here's your new Bible. Get out of my life. Don't call me. Don't come by. I don't want to see you. But I was thrilled that I saved, whether she liked me or not then. Well, she didn't, she just didn't want to get involved with me because I wasn't right. You know, when you're used to date people that are heathens, they behave different than the good Christian girls. You get my drift without me saying more, don't you? So, you know, I've only been saved a week. Don't be too hard on me. And I certainly wasn't looking for a Christian girl when I was a drug addict. Get my drift? Okay. But I was saved and I got that Bible and I started marking it up. I won't tell you, 
uh, the rest of this. So that's uh, a couple different situations that I found myself in. Then moving ahead, I got saved in December 71. And then, you know, of course I got sick, had something wrong with my insides. I worked at a cement plant. I strained something down there. And the surgeons came to the hospital. That was in, I got saved December 71. This is May 72. And they said, uh, we're going to do surgery on you, but we took your blood and we took some tests of your liver. You, how did you get rid of your hepatitis C? So I said to these surgeons, are you telling me I have it? Or are you telling me I had it? We're telling you, you had it. And it seems to stop abruptly on your, in your system, the way it reads in the test we gave you. I said, I didn't even know I had it. They said, have you ever been shot dope? I said, I've been a full blown drug addict for three years. And I said, the only thing happened to me, I received Jesus last December. Well, we don't know nothing about that. (laughs) I know you don't. Oh my goodness. But they said, whatever you had, that hepatitis C, of course, hepatitis C is very serious hepatitis. It'll destroy your liver. And you know, unless you had a continuous miracle, you're going to die from that. (laughs) Your liver helps a lot in preserving your life, your immune system and a lot of things. You still with me? Moving forward, I got saved in 71, 1983. Uh, I'm in the ministry now. I went to ministry in 76 to 78. I went to seminary graduated, made good grades. First time in my life I ever made good grades on anything. 1983 came, this pastor friend asked me to come to his church and teach on angels. I'd only been studying on them for three years. I was pretty young at that time. You know what I mean? As far as my knowledge is very severely impaired because I hadn't really studied that out fully. Oh, I had a lot of things wrong with me. You know, being a drug addict, my memory was shot. My wife would say, What'd you have, what did we have for dinner last night? This is after I got saved and after I got married. In 73, I got married. I said, I don't know, chicken? No. Steak? No. I said, Michael, how come you can't remember that? I don't know. I'm praying for God to help me. I went to the cement plant to sign up to be a laborer. You, know, you follow my thing? They're going to give me a hard hat, a wheelbarrow, and a shovel. That's my tools. I went in the human resources room. They had a little desk with a little tabletop. You fill your one page questionnaire. <clears throat> I, it was in there for about an hour and a half. Six people came in and filled out their papers, turned it in at the window and left. And I'm still sitting in that room. <laughs> you talk about feeling weird. Now this is not a vision this part, but I'm just telling it but I'm kind of still a tough guy on the inside. I'm not going to start bawling at the human resources at the cement plant because I can't figure out this questionnaire. But I filled it out the best of my ability, turned it in, got to my car. I broke down and started weeping. I'm saved, but my mind is so scattered from drug abuse that I said, God, am I going to be like this the rest of my life? And the devil answered me. He said, yeah, and you did it to yourself, smart aleck. And all of a sudden I heard Jesus, he rebuked the devil in front of me. I was so proud of him. Because <laughs> I don't know, didn't know how to do that myself at that point. Good one, Jesus, get him. <clears throat> and uh, he said, Michael, you're going to be okay. I know you feel like you're kind of deranged in your mind because it's not working right, but I'm going to repair all that for you. And many, many years later, I got a doctorate I earned 
And so, you know, it, but that back then I couldn't hardly think. I just struggled with it. For, but God healed all that. So 83, I'm over there trying to teach on angels and I go down this little closet called the radio room. I said, I want to pray a minute just alone if I could. And so they said, well, come on upstairs when you're done and we'll get you up to preach. And I went down there and I'm just, I mean, there's a desk and a chair. I turned the chair, knelt down by it, was worshiping God and asking him to use me. And all of a sudden I came out of my body. Did you know that was going to come? Heavenly, no, I couldn't know that at all. It was pretty shocking to get out of your body and turn around and look, and there you are. But you know, I'm really here. I'm in another dimension. And angels in this case, one had this arm, one had that arm. I didn't realize it at the time because that, that was really one of the first times out of my body. But the angels were keeping my body alive because the body without the spirit is dead. And then I'm in a huge room. I told this, did I tell this already to you? Just act like it's exciting. When I, when I came to her, I was kneeling and there was an angel standing here and there are all kinds of angels behind him, a room about this size or bigger of these creatures, these angelic beings. And he said, Michael, and he went like this, we're all excited you're teaching about us for we've desired to be involved in the body of Christ and they won't let us. Now go home with that one thought. Are you letting God help you with the angels? See, and it took me four months, that last four words, they won't let us. It doesn't sound important, but it's so vital. That's the first time in my life, I really, this is what I said, I said it out loud. I must have authority I don't know about. <laughs> and so when I wrote my book, Eventually on Angels, I put a chapter in there, Authority of the Believer. When I wrote my book about demons, I put a chapter in that about authority of the believer. Because if you don't know I have authority, it won't do me any good to teach you. You won't do anything about it. And quit leaving it up to God. God's already charged all the angels with his word. And what your part is to speak to them, giving voice to this, and they will be activated. And of course, if you become more skilled, you could get a little more sharp in that area and a little stronger. And they will help you. So then all of a sudden, when he said that, I came back into my body through my mouth like he'd put on a boot or a glove and came back and then I went upstairs. Did you tell them what you saw that night? Heavens, no. I'm still trying to think about it. You know, you know, the devil plays tricks with you. Did you really see all that? Yes. You know, you can go to hell for lying too. You do know that, don't you? I'm trying to help you see what well, is the fact that the angels were kind of pursuing me and they were excited I was teaching about them and it really helped me a lot and they've continued to tell me that even even just before I came here they told me they're still excited about me teaching all right let me see where I'm at here 1987 I was pastor in church but I was backslidden and I was just in a terrible state of depression hate to tell you all this, but I think it'll help you if you'll listen. And I was in the office at church and two angels came in the room with me, appeared to me, and one started talking. He said, Michael, we've come to help turn this situation around in your life. Now you have to understand when I say I was depressed, I don't mean just a little depressed. I was really depressed. I was really under it right then. That's one of the lowest times in my life. And so 
first of all, I wasn't doing drugs or drinking, but I asked him a couple questions, the one talking to me, to make sure that he's the real deal. And I felt like he was, but this is what he said. If you don't speak, because God sent us to you and he said to tell you, if you don't speak in agreement with why we've come, we're not going to do it. But I said, well, no, don't, don't do it. I'm not going to say anything. Can you imagine how depressed I was to act like that? I went out and got in my car, started down the freeway. They both appeared in my car. The one talking got in the front seat next to me. The other one in the back. They didn't open the door either. They just appeared. He looked at me. I was driving. He goes, we told you you're going to have to talk to us. If you don't, it's done. You're not going to get this turn. So then I turned and said, okay, in Jesus' name, fulfill your ministry. I'm in agreement with it. You're going to turn this situation around. Then they vanished. Within 24 hours, that whole situation in my life turned. With supernatural help, supernatural assistance. You know, Jesus felt like that too one time. He said, if there's any way to get out of this, Father, I'd sure like to. I'm paraphrasing it. Luke 22, 43. But if it can't, then let your will be done in my life. No, he realized he's going to go to the cross. That's some pressure. But the angel came and touched him and strengthened him. All right. Anyway, and they turned that thing around. Or maybe I would have got out of the ministry then if I continued in that state of mind. Then I'm going to go to, uh, to uh, 1999, which is a lot further out now. In New Albany, my church, the church I started, Church on the Rock. Let me give you a few scriptures before I talk to you about this. First Kings 19. Are we still okay? Yes. I mean, I've got about two or three more visions I'd like to share with you, if you, if unless you get Nancy. And I will minister to some people when I'm done, specifically the preachers in full-time ministry. I'd like to pray for you when we're done with this. And then I'll say something else about another thing. If you're 40 and under... 40 years old or under, and you'll make a new commitment to God, I'll lay hands on you, and God will begin to show you what his will is for your life. And you're going to have to be committed to do that. And I've been doing that for a couple of years. I get in church and say, anybody 40 or younger, get up here. Why 40? I don't know. That's what God told me. He tell me 41, didn't tell me 45. So if you're older, you're not included in this part. You need to be 40 or under. Well, I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry you don't. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Talk it over with God. Now you personally can make a change anytime you want. You don't need me. But I'm talking about people that are consecrated, dedicated. I'm going to do the will of God with my life. And it may be totally different than what your head's telling you you're going to do right now. I never thought I'd leave my hometown. I thought I'd work and die in the cement plant. Wow, that isn't very exciting, I know. But I've been all over the world. God provided the finances, the invitations, and it's been supernatural. Anyway, let me move on here. Where was I? 1999. 1 Kings 19, look at these. There's a verse here in one of the New Testament we're going to look at too. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way. Don't do Elijah. He said the prophet, and the Lord said unto Elijah, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, when you come there, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nim, uh, Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Saphat of Abel-Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. 
See, there's different rooms all the time. There's different rooms for all the fivefold ministry. Amen. And secondly, when Pastor Morgan turns it over to me, she's a pastor, not a prophet. Are you a prophet? No. Then she has certain anointing and mantle on her as a pastor. But when she turns it over to me and lets me preach, then you're in my room. You're still in the same physical room, but you're not in the same spiritual room. So whatever I have in my mantle is coming with me to be a prophet with you in this evening service. I'm not bragging, I'm just trying to help you understand. And you know, if I was like Richard Roberts, I think he says he's an evangelist and I heard him tell, he gets symptoms in his body and he just speaks that out and people get healed. That's a word of knowledge, but it's different than me. God gives me things in here and normally I have to touch the person to get that to them. You weren't here this morning, all of you weren't in Bible school. But the Lord had to deal with me. I don't think I told that last night or Sunday morning. He dealt with me about laying my hands on people. I, I would do that and then I'd draw back after a while. Why? Because you didn't like people? No. Why? Because you're afraid of getting sick, a germ? No. Because I just didn't put a place of value on it like he was doing. So I'd go along for a few months and lay hands on people a lot. Then I'd draw back. And the Lord stopped me one day and said, Michael, I told you to put your hands on people. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. That's the first time I got corrected. So I said, I'll change. I'm, I'm going to do better. And I started being more aware that he wanted me to lay my hands on people for impartations, for deliverance, for healing, and a lot of other things. I'm not here to teach on laying on the hands, but there's a lot with it, especially when you're in the ministry. And God said to me, I'm using you as a prophet to impart to people. So I went along a while and I laid hand, then I drew back again. Uh-oh, here we go again. Number two correction, Michael, I told you to put your hands on, but what's wrong with you? Listen, son, listen to me. Stop doing that. It's not about you anyway, it's about the other people. You just need to not be insecure, just do what I tell you to do. And I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm so sorry, I will do that. So I went along a little longer this time, maybe eight or 10 months. It took about two years there I'm, from the first time to the last time. And then the third time I drew back, he was really stern. He was upset with me. I don't know if Jesus has ever been upset with you, but he was upset with me. And he said, Michael, I do not want to have to talk to you anymore in your lifetime. Do you understand me, son? Yes, sir. And I began to cry and I said, I know I've been, I didn't mean to do that, but I did it and I'm sorry. Well, I want you to straighten up and do what I tell you. I don't want to ever have to bring this to your attention. I've talked to you three times now, and this is it. You're going to be in trouble with me if you don't just keep doing what I'm telling you. We know Jesus knows how to straighten us out. He wasn't mad at me. He was saying, you're neglecting the body of Christ in some area because your anointing's in your hands. And in your type of ministry, it helps for you to transmit that to people. So that's why we do what we do. He's going to anoint us a junior prophet to be under him, kind of like with me and dad. You know, Dr. Dufresne I'm talking about. God put me with a prophet because I was a prophet and I needed to be trained by a prophet, not a pastor, not necessarily an apostle, although he went into that at the end of his life, but as a prophet. So I paid close attention to him. Interesting in this passage, even the kings of other countries as well as Israel had to be anointed by a prophet just to maintain their territory. Interesting, isn't it? 
I'm not teaching on prophets particularly, but I am right to second. Let's go to the New Testament. I'm talking about rooms. 1 Corinthians 14. Is this helping you at all? <clears throat> there are rooms in the spirit. I, I think I'm in my third room and the fourth phase of that. And there's no more rooms in this, but there's another room coming for me because in the spirit, when I prayed, I saw the door. It's different than any door I'd ever seen before. And it's not open yet. When it's open, I'm going to go in there. But it's going to change everything. That's what the Lord told me. And Susan Gedney, I told you maybe this morning about her. A lady in my church that just went to heaven. She died and went to heaven, but before she did, she talked to me one day. She said, can I talk to you, doctor? I said, sure, let's sit down Sunday morning. You know, I was praying for you, Michael, and I saw a room. <laughs> now, I didn't even tell my wife about this or any other human. I, and she said, and I let her talk. I said, what else did you see? I saw a door. You saw a door. What did the door look like? She said it was real ornate. It had different things on the front of it. I said, my God, you've been in my prayer room. I didn't even see you. See, she really knew how to get in the spirit. This lady I'm talking about, I miss her a lot because she prayed for me a lot. So, you know, pray for me, would you? <laughs> okay. I'm asking for some. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 14, look at this verse 16. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned. So I'm just bringing this out for your information and then move over to verse 23 here. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, he equates being unlearned with being an unbeliever. In other words, if you're unlearned in the things of the spirit, you're just no, 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 different, no different than an unbeliever that's in the meeting. They don't understand what's going on. So what I'm encouraging you, if you're in the room of the unlearned, you're not learning, you need to change it and start learning some things. As I went with dad, you know, to different places and paid attention to him. You know, I'm a good student. And I did my best to take care of him as best I could financially, prayerfully, and be around him. And I'm the one that made that decision. He didn't make it for me. Sometimes you, people, average believers, they got to be hit in the seat of the pants to get a clue. Don't be like that. Be a learned person. God puts you in a church. Follow your pastor. Follow their example. Follow their teachings. Do what they tell you to do, and it'll come out good. <laughs> Hallelujah. What I was going to say is a lot of time I'd be sitting in the congregation, and I, I said, oh, he's in the Holy Ghost. Here it comes. And he'd start prophesying, or he'd start ministering. It was just almost uncanny. And I would know somebody needed something by word of knowledge. And he, he, he would be the one ministering. I'm not ministering unless he called on me to come up, but he normally didn't. See, because what I'm becoming learned and I'm becoming better skilled like he would be in my discernment. It was important for me to start learning. Again, I'm the pupil. He's the master, so to speak. He's not Jesus, but he's over me and the Lord. Can I pay attention? All right. So there are different rooms. I'm just encouraging everybody. If you're in the room of the unlearned, you're just not paying attention. Your pastors teach you all the time. I'm just here just as a you know, gummy bear free, free dessert here with me. 
Sweet potato pie. Come on, baby. All right. Yeah. So let me show you one more passage and I'm going to talk to you about something. Go to Psalms uh, 148 with me. Psalm 148. You know, I got plenty of scriptures. I'm not giving you every one of them, but I'm trying to show you some things that will help you. Psalm 148. And then I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about, about uh, what happened in 1999. Here it says, Psalm 148, beginning in verse 2. Praise you him, all his hosts. Excuse me. Praise you him, all his angels. All of them. Praise you him, all his hosts, other spirit beings. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise ye him, you stars of light. Praise you, praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for the Lord commanded, and they were created. Now, what's interesting here, I've studied this out one time, and there was something in here I needed to get, so I looked up these words in the Hebrew, and this is the way it should read. Uh, let them praise the Lord, name of the Lord, for he has appointed and charged the angels. And instead of created, it says dispatched them. See, God's already put different programs with different spirit, spirit beings to help us and assist us. Are you listening to me? Okay. So in 1999, I was still a pastor then at my church, Church on the Rock in New Albany. We were $40,000 behind. That's one of the first times I ever got behind in 44 years of ministry. It was another time I got behind too about a building project. But this was the first time it was $40,000 $40, just to get up to where we should be. So I told the people, I need your help. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do above and beyond my tithe. And I'm going to put a good offering in. I want you to do the same. We're going to come together. It was what the world calls Halloween. We call it Hallelujah Night, October 31st, 1999. I said, I'm only have the praise team do about 40 minutes of praise and worship, not 45, not 50, and not 30. I said 45 minutes. And I'm going to put the buckets up on the altar. I want you to go home and ask your family to help you, your kids that live with you. And you, I want you to do something special to help me get out of this $40,000 debt. You can come at any time, bring your wife, your children, come up and pray over that, drop it in the bucket, go back and keep praising the Lord until we're done. 45, I'm not going to teach you that night. We're just having a night of praise and worship. You still with me? Yes. So we're, Brother Graves is, I'm standing there like this, and I'm worshiping God. I'm on the front row, so people behind me see my back. Only the praise and worship team can see my face. I got my eyes closed. My mouth is shut at that moment. I was singing, all of a sudden I got still, and all of a sudden I came out of my body <laughs> and going to the left. And I, I, I'd say it's about 20 feet over to this room. I look back, two angels, one's holding this arm up. One, now the people, they, they're looking at me from the back and the praise team, they think I'm in there praising God, but I'm not. I'm over here somewhere. I get to this doorway, it's black inside there or dark inside there. When I come to myself, there's a threshold at the bottom like a plate. And the Lord said to me, step over that plate, and get in that room. Boom. When my foot went over the plate, this first foot, then this one, it lit up. And there was a big angel standing here. He's eight feet tall. He looked like a bodybuilder. I mean, he looked like that guy, the Samoan guy on, that does movies, The Rock. Yeah. He looked like, you know, I mean, I, it was impressive. You know, this is what he said to me, Michael. 
They always call me by my first name, Michael. You come into a new room. He did his arm like the other end. But when I looked in there, all the stuff, like, you know, you musicians, when you cover up the organs with the black cloth, so dust doesn't get in there, everything in that room had a covering on it. So I knew I was going to have to uncover that. Are you still with me? But now let me tell you something else why I knew what he's saying. The year before, you know, I had a church one time of 310 people. I asked people to come pray with their pastor, me, for two hours one night a week. I did that for 16 years. Out of 310 people, I had seven people that was willing to do that. Because I said, don't come if you're only going to give me an hour. I'm going to tell you to go home. I don't need you. If you can give me two hours of your time, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you on intercessory prayer. We're not going to pray for your uncle. We're not going to pray for that. We're going to talk about stuff we're praying as a church. I'm going to teach you for an hour. We're going to pray for an hour. And when I'm done with the second hour, we're going to go. Even if you still feel like it's not done, then you just pray that out as you go your way. Anybody listening? Yes, sir. I only taught that to my intercessors because the regular church people, all they cared about was having a pizza party. If I had a pizza party, I didn't have 310. I had 375 because they asked all their cousins to come. Yeah, exactly. come on. And I wanted to get on the megaphone. Hey, some of you lazy outfits, why don't you get saved? Yeah. Instead of just coming and eating my pizza. Yeah. You think I'm mean. I'm just right. Yeah. You just got to admit it. I'm right. And out of my own church people, 307 people. We prayed for seven years with seven people. And so the year before this angel told me I'm coming into a new room, I began to get revelation and I taught a series. I don't have it on tape now. I have notes on it. Don't ask for it. I probably won't give it to you. But it's gates and doors and rooms. That's what I taught to the intercessors. How we can move in that realm, get into certain places in the spirit. You don't need to know it if you won't come pray with me. That's why I didn't teach the whole church. What's the point? Okay, I'm not mad at anybody. Just... I'm just telling you the truth. Maybe you think I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm just telling the truth. I'd be a liar if I didn't tell that. Anyway, all of a sudden, after I was stood there with him and looked around, I said, everything's covered. He didn't respond to me. All of a sudden, boom, all of a sudden, I came back into my body where I was standing. Just like the other time came through my mouth and filled up my body from the inside out. Then I'm all, all together in here now with my physical body. So that was a Sunday night. Am I boring you? I, I'm trying to help show you something. So I had intercessory prayer on Monday night. So now I didn't tell the intercessors about all that experience yet. I just got them together. There was at that time about 30 of us that were praying. The, the group had grown usually by two or three every couple of years. And we had about 30 intercessors. And I said, I have these missionaries on my heart. Let's pray about it. One of the couples I'm praying for lives in Mexico and he's got three children. The other couple lives in Honduras and they have three children. Both missionaries that I have put a lot of money into, thousands and thousands of dollars, helping them on the mission and personally visiting their countries and going and take offerings to them and preach for them wherever they could plug me in. I'm praying for these missionaries and I'm praying everything I knew to pray in English. I bound everything, released the power of God, released the angels, got all in the name of Jesus. And yet I knew I didn't strike pay dirt. Do you know what I mean by that? I wasn't hitting the target. I looked at the intercessors. They're kind of all around me here. 
And they know we're not either. I said, we haven't hit it, have we? And they said, no, we haven't. I said, okay, let's pray in tongues for a little bit. And I closed my eyes and began to pray in tongues. I'm going to keep my eyes open so I can see you. But I, I closed my eyes and began to pray in tongues. I had my eyes closed, but I'm back in that room, that new room, and now it's filled with angels. A lot smaller crowd than that first vision of 83. But nonetheless, there's probably 100 angels in there with us. I look over here and this one angel... I don't know how I knew it. He knew me. I knew him. I'm talking about supernaturally now. There's another 99 of them in there. I looked at him and I broke into some other dialect, not just my regular tongues. And I stayed over in that dialect. He looked at me. I could tell he's listening. He knows exactly what I'm saying. I have no idea what I'm saying. And I prayed in this other language. You know, sometimes you got to yield to things. Yeah. And the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, you ever read that? If I pray in the tongues of men and of angels. I could tell he understood what I was saying. I'd never ever spoken in that language before or since. And when I prayed that way for about two minutes, and I stopped, the whole group stopped, and that angel went through the wall to take care of what I'd prayed about, about the missionaries in Mexico. And they knew it. Everybody in the room, they said, yeah, we had got it that time. So we did the same thing for the couple in Honduras, you know, in English. I usually led the group. I had men and women that could pray as good as I, but I usually led it and they got an agreement. And then all of a sudden we hadn't hit the target. And I said, well, let's go again in tongues. Shut my eyes. I'm back in this room now over on this side of the room. There was another angel that just when he looked at me, it's like, I know you and I'm going to take care of this. He didn't convey that, but that's what I felt. And I took it to another dialect, different than the other angel spoke, different than I was just praying in my normal prayer language. And again, it took about two and a half minutes, maybe three. Boom, he shot through that wall like a falling star, but he went horizontal. And all of a sudden, in a month, I got a phone call from the guy in Mexico. You know, we had three armed men come to our home. No, I didn't know that, but I, I prayed for you. What happened? Well, they had guns and they <laughs> that's my buddy, Mike Rabel. He's an apostle. And the guy came in and said, I want you to show me your safe. He said, I'm a missionary. He started laughing. I don't have a safe. I'm a missionary. Well, get in that room. He put him and his wife and the kids in the room. And they heard a disturbance outside. Three guys with weapons. They took off running. Nobody, nothing was stolen. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got touched. I mean, coincidence? I think not. Then about another week, the guy from Honduras came. His was even more dramatic. He's got three children, two girls and a boy and a wife. And he comes to the front door home with the two of the bigger kids. He had a little girl about four or five at home with her mother. There was two guys in his home. There was a couple guys upstairs that tied his wife up with rope and his little girl. And when he opened the door, a guy had a gun and he told the kids behind him, run kids. And they took off. And he had an altercation with the guy with a weapon and he dropped his weapon. He got scared. The guys upstairs heard all the commotion, ran down the back steps. They all ran out the back door. His wife was not molested. His child was not molested. They didn't steal anything. They didn't get to do anything they thought was going to be fun. God just erupted the whole thing. Now that doesn't happen every day, but it happened just like I'm telling you. And partly because I was in a new room. I've had angels help me before, but not exactly like that. Are you still here? 
Now, I'd like to tell you, you know, I started praying about that new room, but actually after that Monday night, I let it fall. You know, I'm just being honest with you. I let some things slip. I know you never do, but I did. <laughs> and so I, that was October 31st and the prayer meeting was what? November the 1st, the next day. I went through November, I went through, Jan I went through December. And somewhere around the middle of January, again, God interrupts me when I'm praying. When he interrupts me, I know normally he's got something he's going to talk to me about that's not going to be comfortable. He said, Michael, are you just going to let that new room flop? Or are you ever going to talk to me again about it? <laughs> I'm just honest enough to tell you what I did. I'm ashamed that I did that. I know you would have been right on it every day, praying, 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 praying. I said, again, I repent and I began to weep. I said, I'm tremendously sorry. And within a few months, this is what he told me. It was in the new room. The healing anointing in your right hand will be stronger from this day forth. More angelic activity in your life and ministry. And you're coming up in a big increase in finances. And all that came to pass. Now, I know I've been preaching a while. Would you give me just a minute or two more? This was a, a big thing. Said, let me see if I got any scriptures to look up. I don't think so for this. But anyway, it was 2008. And actually, Dr. Dufresne was at my church and Pastor Nancy. And Dad was preaching. Dr. Dufresne was preaching. I don't remember what night of the meeting. But he said, I want to pray for all the preachers. Well, I'm a preacher. I'm sitting there with my wife. We come to the altar, lift up our hands. He comes by and hit me in the head, you know, laid hands on me. And I fell out. But like I told you the other day, I don't get up here to take a nap up here. And I don't put my foot back to resist people. You know, you won't get anything from me if you come with this attitude. I'm not trying to push you down. I'm just trying to minister to you. But you have to be a good receiver. Anyway, I received, but I, and I fell out. And I laid there. My wife said she thought 20 to 30 minutes. You were there, Pastor Nancy. I and when I finally came to, the doctor was sitting down and you were sitting by him over here. And my wife, the whole congregation was still in place. I went somewhere. And my first comment was, am I in heaven? And he said, no, but I'm going to teach you something. Pay attention, Michael. This is Jesus talking to me. All right. Eight angels flew in, in the vision. I'm laying flat, four of them on one side, four of them on the other. They were not worshiping me. They were looking at each other, all four, all eight. And when they came in, they had on this chain mall stuff. I think you call it that. It's like a chain link fence, but real tight. They had it up to here all the way to the floor. No, no weaponry on them. No bow and arrow, no ax, no knife, no nothing. And they just knelt down. And all of a sudden, while I'm laying there, I look over here to my left and there's a little knoll, a little hill. And all of a sudden came this gorilla-looking creature with a demonic head on him. He looked at me, I looked at him, and he started running. I mean, I don't know how he ran that quick. He put his foot down, and it seemed like he was almost on me. And he was running towards me. He was violent. He was irritated. He was coming for me. I said, in the, that's all I could get. I was going to say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. But I said, in the, and this angel down here stood back up. He had a bow, and he had a quiver, and he went, shoo hit that creature and he disintegrated. You don't like etch a sketch, you do something and you shake it or <laughs> the picture. So I'm talking to God all during this vision. I said, you can't kill a demon with an arrow, can you? 
He said, no, I'm showing you something. This angel here, listen to me, is assigned to your life now because you're in that prophet's ministry. This is what he said. And those kind of creatures now are coming after you. And he will defend you against them. Just like you saw in the drought, the illustration I showed you. Hmm. Then I said to him out loud, you know, Paul said, whether I was in the body, out of the body, I couldn't tell. That was what happened to me that night. I said, well, you already gave me an angel when I was born and he's been my guardian angel all these years. He's still there too, Michael, but this is added equipment because of the prophet's office on you. And he's going to take care of creatures that come to look like that one. I mean, if I hadn't had faith, he would have scared me. And so, anyway. and then a few weeks later, I don't know how long, maybe four or five weeks, I was at home tying my shoe in the bath bedroom. In walks two of them. They got the same outfit on. I said, you're, and they finished my comment, we're two of the eight. Well, what are you doing here? We came to tell you what our role is in your life. When you're in the spirit ministering in the healing anointing, we've come to repair and restore people's bodies. Anything else? No. Okay. And they disappeared. Are you listening? Then came 2017 in my life was a very hard year for me. What, could, what happened about everything you can imagine just on me personally, I just had so much pressure on my mind, my emotions. And so I got to the end of 2017 and I said to the Lord, Lord, I really appreciate it. I felt like I was going to, there had been an assignment against me twice in that year. And I said, thank you for sending that angel that protected me. And he said, Michael, there was six attempts on your life that he took care of all of them. I felt a little dumb because I wasn't reading everything properly. I knew it two times I felt imminent, there was imminent danger. Of course, I just prayed like I normally would, bound the devil, release the angels. And this angel that has this bow, he reminded me he's taking care of all that for you. Amen. What would happen if I didn't have him? Right. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I didn't ask for the angels, but he put them around me. And, and I told, well, Pastor Nancy was there, but I don't know if she heard this. We got in the car that night, Dad and I and you and Diana. And he said, and Dad, Dad said to me, not when we were eating in the back with the preachers, when we got in my car, that's when I had the BMW. And he said, what'd you see, Michael? I told him just what I told you. He said, well, those eight angels are assigned to you, then just release them. At that time, the only one I knew did something was the one that took care of that demon looking creature. Are you listening to me? I said, if you think I'm crazy, tell me. He said, I don't think you're crazy. I think you just had a legitimate vision. These angels have been assigned to you because you're stepping up into something different. Uh, hallelujah. Yeah. And then I'm just going to quit in just a minute here. And then I, somebody sent me a, a CD of Pastor Nancy. And I think if I remember right, it was from Pastor Jay's meeting. I think you correct me where you talked to God in the hotel that day about the hundred angels that dad had that were healing angels. Right, anyway, somebody gave me a recording of that. And if, you, if I heard you right, Pastor Nancy, you said, God said, you said, what are you going to do with those hundred angels? You said, they don't go back to heaven, which I know that she knows that because this is where their territory is. And the Lord said to you, I'm giving you 50. Is that correct? So 
that are, okay, the other 50, and you mentioned three men. You mentioned Jay Everly, Ricky Edwards, and me, Dr. Jacobs. That's what's on that CD I got. Then I asked God how many of those did I get. Now, what kind of angels are they? Healing angels. And he didn't tell me, so I guess I don't need to know. But I got some of that other 50. And they work with me in the healing ministry too. And recently, the last two or three or four years, I began to see, that was 2014 if I got the right date. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like people would come and get my healing line. One guy came to get prayed for about alcoholism. I prayed for him about that. And then after I did, he started doing this. And he said, oh my God, my knees are healed. <laughs> and... And sometimes people in a prayer line will come later and say, you know, you, I came for migraine headaches, but I had a shoulder that bothered me and I had a hip ache and that left too. I said, did I say anything about your hip? Nope. Say anything to you about headaches? Nope. I just got in the line for, but I got several things happen all at one time. Praise God. Hallelujah. We could talk about a few more, but I think that's sufficient. Thank you for joining us today. To view Dr. Jacobs' travel itinerary, order products, and more, please visit cotrin.org slash mjm.